Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And yes, we're back with another weekend of Bundesliga football to talk about. But joining me, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been very good, very busy, um, you know, lots of Bundesliga action, lots to write about, so it's been a very, very productive week, Bryce. How about yours? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, I watched a few games today, this being Sunday, uh, which, yeah, there's nothing much to write home about there, unfortunately, but we do have a few uh, interesting and more exciting topics to talk about, don't we, in the next 45 to 60 minutes. But joining Manu and myself, as always, Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Very well, Bryce, thanks. Um, another, um, I was going to say exciting week of football, but I might just say exciting match or exciting football match because outside of, of maybe one and a half games, it was a little dull. Yes, that's right. Normally we're talking about how many goals have been scored and all the twists and turns in the Bundesliga match day uh, over the weekend, but um, yeah, there hasn't been that much to talk about really on the field this week. We will get to them, obviously, but uh, the main headline has been about Timo Werner, and yes, there's a agreement in principle for him to leave Germany and possibly head to London. Manu, this was obviously a huge headline this week. A lot of people had talked about where he may end up. There was talk of Bayern Munich. There was talk of Liverpool. Plenty of talk of that. Uh, even Manchester. But uh, it seems like Chelsea are the side that may end up landing the German striker. Yeah, that um, definitely spiced up my Thursday morning Canadian time. Um, Thursday afternoon, you know, in, in Europe um, when, when, those, when those news broke. Um, I think that we all anticipated Timo Werner to leave um, Leipzig this, this summer um, and uh, go to a new club. And I think many people around the world expected that club to be Liverpool. And it looks like, I mean, nothing is done until the famous photo is being taken place with the, the player holding up the, the shirt at the press conference, right? Um, but it looks like that the, his new club is going to be Chelsea and uh, Chelsea and Werner have agreed on uh, personal terms and signed a huge contract. Uh, I think he's on going to earn 10 million euros a year um, over the next five years. And his agency is going to receive an additional 12 million euros. Um, that's being Karl-Heinz Förster, his agent. Um, so it's, it's a significant deal on top of the 60 million euro release clause, right? And um, yeah, it looks like he's Chelsea bound. And I think that... Um, there's going to be a lot of clubs that are going to be very, very disappointed about. And there's, I think there's various reasons why other clubs lost out. And I think the first and foremost one is Liverpool. And I think, Chris, you're probably the best person to talk about um, the reasons on why Liverpool ultimately did not get their man. Yeah, it came as a shock because I think everybody had assumed, either rightly or wrongly, that Timo Werner was going to join Liverpool. He'd spoken about Liverpool um, so many times. He spoke um, after the Champions League game at Tottenham about how well suited he was. He'd spoken uh, during one of the international breaks earlier on in the season about how much he liked Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and how much he admired watching Liverpool play. So he did definitely twerk himself out. And uh, it's no it's no secret that Jurgen Klopp and Timo Werner had a Zoom call. Um, everything looked to be going hunky-dory. Um, and then... As far as um, I can see, Liverpool pulled out of the deal because the Fenway Sports Group don't have the appetite to pay for that at the moment. And I can understand it. I can also understand why there's a lot of Liverpool fans very angry because um, it did look like Timo Werner was going to join. But Fenway Sports Group, Manu and I have chatted about this offline quite a bit, and they're 100% sports people, so they rely on live um, baseball, they rely on live NASCAR, they rely on live football to generate an income and unfortunately there's been absolutely nothing um, 
forthcoming regards income and lots of outgoings are still having to pay all their players, all their drivers. Um, so there's a lot of outgoings and very little incomings. And I think it was quite refreshing to hear Jurgen Klopp speak about the subject on Sunday, um, or it might have been Saturday evening, actually, sorry, um, to Sky Germany about how you know Liverpool are in a bit of a position at the moment where they've asked players to take wage cuts. They tried um, and then reversed their decision to put a number of players, a number of members of staff onto the furlough scheme. So then to plead poverty in inverted commas and then go and spend 55, 60 million euros on a player, um, I don't think they're in the market for that at the moment. Information I have is they try to get it at a cheaper price and obviously there's a clause there. Leipzig are, are well within their rights to say no. And Chelsea, fair play to them, They've swooped in there, um, found a player who can fit their style, a player who can score goals, and a player who I think will lead their line for the next five, six seasons. So it's an excellent piece of business by Chelsea. They've gone in there and they've got a player that you know many others wanted. Um, I think he'll be a real success. Man is quite right. Um, you know, you can only say he's officially joined Chelsea when he holds that Chelsea shirt up with, a, with his number and his name on the back. But I would be surprised if. Um, it didn't happen. It's just a matter of when. Don't forget, Leipzig are still involved in the Champions League. No one knows when the transfer window is going to be. It would be a little messy if he was to sign now for next season. Um, there's still a you know there's still a race for the Champions League going on. Chelsea haven't even started playing yet, so I think it's beneficial for Leipzig for this transfer to be announced maybe after they've completed their season, which at the moment would be around August fifth or sixth. But I can see the deal getting getting sorted out this week. Um, but I think an official announcement with shirts, etc., won't be for a while because let's not forget that Timo Werner can't even travel to London. If he does, he immediately goes into a 14-day quarantine. So Leipzig won't be allowing that. Um, and vice versa, I don't think Chelsea personnel will travel out to Germany just for this because you know they'll then again be under a 14-day quarantine when they come back to the UK. So I can see it being announced um, very normally on the, maybe the Chelsea website saying that Timo Werner will join at the start of next season and that would be it and to let him get on and play. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great swoop to come in by Chelsea. I think they've got themselves a wonderful player. Yeah, certainly a wonderful player. 25 league goals to his name uh, this year. Very impressive stuff. Um, Manu, let's talk a little bit uh, about things uh, closer to home form and in the form of uh, Bayern Munich. About 12 months ago, you know, we were talking about you know how it was very likely he would end up there, but that seems to have uh, faded away. And I would imagine that it's going to be a bit of a loss for them. You know, he's such a young prospect, and he's scoring left, right, and centre in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Bayern are one of the clubs that have lost out, and. We have to say lost out um, because you're quite right. He's he's a wonderful striker, and I've seen lots of people on Twitter say, "Oh, good that he's not coming here." And I, let's be let's be straight up with this one. Hansi Flick is a huge fan of Timo Werner. Um, a deal last season was agreed. Bayern could have signed him for 25 million euros, and um, it, the transfer failed. Literally fell apart at the last minute because um, you know the board couldn't get to a 100% agreement on whether they or not they wanted to sign him. And um, Hasan Salihamidzic in particular was opposed to it. And that's something that Timo Werner took very personal because it, a deal was agreed, right? And uh, Bayern basically walked away from it. It's actually something that um, Liverpool handled a lot better. Uh, Timo Werner and Jurgen Klopp had an understanding that if... if um, there is a certain time, if Liverpool can't get a deal together at a certain time, that Klopp will inform him. And Klopp actually did this. They informed Werner's party and said, look, we really want you. Um, this also puts <laughs> puts a stop to all the Liverpool fans saying that they didn't really want him. They really wanted him. It just wasn't possible mm -hmm. financially. And um, I think that in Bayern's terms, I, I, when you look at their succession planning, they will eventually have to bring in a player to replace um, Robert Lewandowski. And yes, Lewandowski scored 30 Bundesliga goals now this season. He's been fantastic, but he's also 32, right? And there will be a time when they will have to find a replacement and a succession plan. And 
overall, Timo Werner would have been able to fill out a whole bunch of roles for them. And in Hansi Flick's system would have been, I think, a wonderful player because Hansi Flick is very capable of taking a player that doesn't necessarily fit um, a team now, but turning the system to make it work. Look at, look at what he's done with Fonzie Davis, for example, right? So I think definitely Bayern are a team that lost out, just like Liverpool lost out. And then there's also uh, Manchester United, another team that's lost out, that really wanted him, but ultimately couldn't guarantee him playing time. Um, so I think, and Chris, we both are very familiar with this. We see this on Twitter all the time. People um, think that, you know, well, we didn't want to have him anyways. But let's make no mistake about this. Timo Werner is a wonderful player. He's a fantastic talent. And yes, he does miss the occasional opportunity, but he's 24. He scored 25 Bundesliga goals this year, and he's he's on eight assists as well, which puts him right in the same category as Jaden Sancho in terms of uh, overall scoring points. And that's that's significant. Uh, there is not many players in any of the top five leagues that have those kind of numbers and are available for the price that he's available at the moment. Well, this is it. Um, you're saying, Manu, you know, that there's Liverpool fans turning around and saying, oh, we didn't want him. I'm pretty sure if you ask Chris and I, we would say that we definitely did want him. But um, Chris, uh, what exactly um, then for any Chelsea fans that are listening, uh, what can you maybe add that they wouldn't know already? Um, you know, to, what, can, what can Timo Werner add to their side, you know, that we haven't already said? That's what I'm trying to say. Goals. I think he'll score a lot more goals. Um Chelsea, I think they've they they can score and they do score and they play some great football. But now they've got a guaranteed goal scorer. I don't think they've had one really since Didier Drogba left. Now they are big shoes for Timo Werner to fill. Um, Fernando Torres had a go as well, although Drogba was there at the time, but he couldn't do that. Shevchenko didn't really work out. So Chelsea are due a, a centre forward who can come in and emulate what Didier Drogba got up to. So. I mean, it would be big of me to say I think Timo Werner can emulate that, but he's certainly got the talent and potential to do that. He does score. He also misses, um, misses quite a few, and he also scores quite a few. I think Bob Paisley said years ago, get yourself in the right position, um, and then if it goes in the net or not, we can talk about it after. But the strikers have to be in the right position, and Timo Werner is in the right position. And he still is quite a young player. Um, you know, you know, he's a few years off his peak yet, two to three years off his peak. Um, maybe five to six years off the peak what Lewandowski's in so uh, he can work on his development and he's been doing that since he's been at Stuttgart since he moved to Leipzig he's worked constantly Um, his rates of of scoring have got better I think he'll be a wonderful addition to the Premier League and to Chelsea so they can expect goals um, and hopefully he won't have too much of um, a hindrance on his shoulders although he has got a, a big price tag he probably will be one of the biggest moves in this transfer window when it opens because like Manu I can see players going on loans, freeze, swap deals, deals negotiated for the year after, deals negotiated on three-year payment terms. Um, but this one will be thrashed out quite soon. So, yeah, they're going to get an excellent player. Um, and yeah, I'm with Manu. Teams and fans who say, well, we didn't want him anyway, I think that's a bit of, well, he's not coming, so we don't care now, when I think secretly they do. And Manu, just uh, one final point. I mean, we've we got to think about uh, RB Leipzig in this. They're, they're losing their main man. How do you replace, you know, a figure like that? You know, where where are you going to get those goals from? I think that RB Leipzig, so Rasenballsport Leipzig, being part of the Red Bull setup and have a very, very, very good scouting network worldwide. And I think they're going to be very well suited to take those uh, 60 million euros and reinvest them in the right players that... um, not only fit Nagelsmann's style of play, but also will guarantee that they can continue to grow grow into the club that they envision to have in Leipzig. And that's a Bundesliga title contender and a team that can ultimately win the Champions League. And that's always been Red Bull's plans when it comes to RB Leipzig in, in, in the Bundesliga. And I think they know, they always knew that they were going to lose players on the way. Right, um, that was the case of Navigator. It's a place, the case now with Timo Werner. They always knew that in order to grow, they have to sell players and move them on and, and make a profit. And they did with Werner. They made they made a handsome profit with him as a player. Now, for them to find the right players, I mean, they're very heavily linked to Milo Drasica from Werder Bremen, who's not quite the same player. Right, um, I think they're going to make Patrick Schick transfer permanent from Roma. Um, that's going to be something that they will have to renegotiate with the Italian Serie A side. 
Um, and Milo Rashica is probably going to come in cheap as well because when you look at Werder Bremen's results, they, they're going to get likely relegated, which means um, he's, he's, they're going to be able to sign him in the region of 8 to 10 million euros, which is a fantastic deal, right? And will give them room to maybe bring in another striker. And a player that I personally really would like to see in Leipzig is um, the young Canadian Jonathan David, um, who's, who had a fantastic season, season with Ghent uh, in Belgium. And... Um, is a wonderful talent and uh you know i've spoken to the david camp and i know that they would really like to see him in leipzig it depends on whether leipzig are gonna go for it because they see that club as the perfect place for him to develop further um, with the infrastructure and everything that they have in place and i think you know it even if it's not david it will be that sort of player bryce you know a player in who's 19 20 21 who can fit Nagelsmann's system, who can play various roles, who was already a proven goal scorer. And um, I think our Red Bull setup is very well suited to find that that kind of player and make him work in the system right away. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, potentially. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that more or less does it, uh, covering the Timo Werner uh, transfer. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking about it more in the uh, coming weeks uh, when more developments are made. But let's get to uh, Saturday's games. Collins' back pass didn't have quite enough. Timo Werner is onto it and then steered his shot wide. Well, praise and regret in equal measure. And yes, that was the game that I was referring to. Obviously, RB Leipzig failing to capitalise um, against Paderborn, bottom of the table. Uh, 1-1, and that was Timo Werner missing a glorious opportunity to, to win the game for them. One that he'll be looking to forget. Chris, so if we talk about RB Leipzig, um, I mean, everyone you know, before the restart, you know, that wasn't in the Bundesliga had a, a bit of an interest because of what they'd seen them do maybe in, in the Champions League. And obviously Julian Nagelsmann um, is known all around the world for being a, a your real hotshot young coach. But things haven't really went as planned for them, have they, since uh, football's continued? And uh, what exactly seems to be going on at RB Leipzig at the moment? Well, they've got a consistency issue. Um, I've saw, I've seen them play some superb football since football's come back. You know, they absolutely destroyed Mainz. Um, I thought they had a, a wonderful game against Cologne, but then they've dropped, um, they've dropped points where they shouldn't have done at home against Freiburg, at home now against Paderborn. Um, you know, they have dropped a lot of points through draws this season. So you can't expect to be challenging, um, for the title and and still picking up draws where you should be winning. And, and that's the problem that Leipzig have got. And I don't know if it's a Nagelsmann problem, if it's just a problem where they've got a, a young squad and who occasionally make mistakes because Upper Meccano's wonderful player, but he made a couple of mistakes in this game that saw him um, see yellow. I uh, saw him see a second yellow, sorry, in the first half. Um, and they've also had other players that have you know, drifted in and drifted out a little bit. Um, Campbell who is another great player um, who unfortunately drifts a little bit. Um, Zabitzer uh, is another, although wasn't available for this one. That is also a bit of a problem for them. It's um, it's difficult. And Leipzig have got a lot of self-induced pressure because they want to win that Bundesliga. They want to win the Champions League. It is a marketing vehicle for Red Bull and Red Bull want to see you know their team on top of the world. So they do have a lot of internal and external pressures. Um, it's just all part of the development process. Let's not forget, they're still a very young embryonic side in the term of football. You know, they're playing SC Paderborn, um, founded in 1907. So it, the, the playing teams that have had a lot of a lot of football underneath their belts. So they're only young and they're only learning. Um, and that's not really an excuse because they do have good backing. They do have good scouting techniques. They've got wonderful medical facilities. You know, they have probably the, the the second or third best setup in the league so they should be doing a lot better um unfortunately for them though they have a, they have a young coach who's learning all the time and they have young players who are learning all the time so this is the sort of thing to be expected you can't expect a team to come in and 11 years or 12 years after foundation you know be as good as Bayern Munich year in year out they're going to have highs and they're going to have lows and Unfortunately for them at the moment, they're on a bit of a low. If they could nail that consistency, though, if they could play the way we've seen them play against Mainz, against Cologne, if they could 
you know, Tottenham um, as well, Spurs, uh, sorry, that is Tottenham, um, you know, seeing them the way they've played um, in Europe, if they could replicate that week in, week out, they'd be a devastating side. And maybe that's something that they're aiming towards. But at the moment, it's a bit of a roller coaster if you connect it to RB Leipzig. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen them uh, you know, fail to pick up three points once again, but one side that did pick up three points and the game that Chris was referring to at the top of the show as being very entertaining was that Bayer Leverkusen versus Bayern Munich game. And Manu, just what a fantastic game that was. We had uh, plenty of goals, plenty of action and even the uh, youngest goal scorer in Bundesliga history. Yeah, I thought this was a wonderful game. I, I really enjoyed it. Um you know, all it was missing was fans, but that's just the reality of it right now. But yeah, I thought, you know, especially on this podcast, we have given Peter Bosch a lot of grief for, for the way he's, he plays football. And I think any other side that would have scored that early goal against Bayern, uh, Lucas Alayo's strike, right? Just, just beating the offside trap to make it a uh, one nil. I think every, any other side would have maybe, maybe approached this game a little bit different. Um, I'm not sure we can actually ever hold it against Peter Bosch, but he has a certain style of playing football. He sticks to it. It's his principle. Uh, Chris and I have both asked him about his defensive approaches. He he maintains, he knows how to play defensive football. I, I have to see the evidence of that yet. But at the same time, he sticks to his principles. He has He believes that his team has to have the ball. He believes that his team has to move the ball well. He believes in attacking football. Um, he believes in cultured football because his teams are great fun to watch. And I think Leverkusen actually played really well. It's just unfortunately that they buy in a, a such an effective force at the moment that when they get opportunities, they just score them. I mean, two of the Bayern's first goal was a giveaway by Diaby, who I think had um, as much of a wonderful player he is. And then Chris probably wants to expand on this a little bit later. He had a miserable game. Because he just didn't didn't pass the ball at the right time, he gave the ball away in the wrong time. Um, he gave the ball away to for Kingsley Kingsley Coman's equalizer, and then uh, twice Leverkusen were just overwhelmed by Bayern playing the ball really quickly forward. And I think that is a big, really big weakness for them. But even then, with three one down and then four one down, they kept playing, and then at four two, and I think that's a fair result. The two teams. I don't think we're that far apart. It's just that Bayern are extremely effective at the moment. I mean, they just, every time they have a scoring chance, they put the ball away. And I think if you if you play the sort of football that uh, Bayern Leverkusen play, despite all the talented players, a team like Bayern will just put, to, put you to the sword at the moment. And that's that's a question that Peter Bosch maybe has to ask himself when he develops this side is, how much does he want to stick to his principles, um, especially when you're up um, 1-0 against a big club like Bayern, right? And um, it makes it for very attractive watching, Bryce. I think this game was wonderful because there was two teams trying to play football, and I think that's great. But it also for Leverkusen, it means that there's a lot more work to be doing to get to play the sort of football that they're playing, but also maintain a high level of concentration to actually beat a team like Bayern. Yeah, quite a, quite a fantastic game, really. I mean, um, we, we always knew that there would be goals in this one, didn't we, Chris? And yeah, Peter Bosk, uh, he, he will always provide this kind of football for us. Um, do, do you think that it's best that he does stick to his uh, his goals and, and just continues with this type of football or do you think when it comes to these big games, he, he needs to take a different approach? It's an interesting question because he is a good coach and you know, he, he's he's led previous teams to European finals. So he does know what he's doing. It's just had they had the lead. And now this manager, right, this Bayern side are fantastic. So even when they went one behind, I didn't really feel that we were going to be looking at an upset. Um, I thought we could have been maybe looking at a draw. Um, that would probably have been the biggest upset of the day because no matter how well Leverkusen play, and they do play very exciting football, they do leak um, quite a few goals. And when you're playing a team as good as Bayern are, if you have a tendency to leak a few goals, that, that few often becomes quite a, a high number. And, and indeed on Saturday when it became four, um, it, it's an interesting question because what do they do when they go 1-0 up? Do they then just try and, and sit on the game? Because you have to remember they went up, um, it, it wasn't even 10 minutes on the clock. So are they then going to play 80 minutes of defensive football? I don't even think the players he's got, the side he's built or the side he's been given to build, 
I don't even think they're capable of playing a low block for 80 minutes. So it would be against just the very nature of the way they play football. But it was an excellent chance for them, Bryce, to to get the jump on, on Gladbach. Um, and as we saw on Leipzig, you know, had they won, they would have been tied on the same points as Leipzig and, and you know, with one eye on closing the gap to Dortmund to finish second. It's a big miss opportunity for Leverkusen to go back into the top four. I think they can be glad that those around them slipped up as well. Um, but yeah, we could be looking back towards the next few games and saying, oh, Leverkusen really threw it away there. But because they're playing Bayern, I think that would be a harsh way. Um, it, it's a it's a tough question because the simple answer is, yeah, they should have changed their tactics. But I think when you are Peter Bosch and, and you're a, a Peter Bosch player and you're Peter Bosch's staff, you know the way that you set up to play football. So just to turn it off for one game and play differently or get for 90 minutes is... It's a hard one. We've seen teams do it. You've seen teams do it before, try and play a different style of football against Bayern and, and they get battered. You see it You see it in Europe week in, week out. Teams try to play a different way against Barcelona or they try and play a different way against Juventus or Liverpool or Manchester City and it doesn't really make any difference. They get beat. The only difference is uh, the number they get beat by. So um, maybe they just went down fighting in flames Um but it was a very, very entertaining match. You can't take that away from Bayer Leverkusen. They don't play, or they're, they're not involved normally in games that are dull. And where they are at the moment, fifth, uh, I would argue that they are possibly the fourth best team in the league. Um, I think they I think they play a little bit better football at the moment than Borussia Mönchengladbach. So whether they finish fifth or fourth, uh, we always say on this podcast, the table doesn't lie. I'd like to see... Leverkusen finishing fourth because I like to see them play well in the Champions League but I'd also like to see Marco Rosa have a shot in the Champions League as well so so it's interesting for me as a neutral but I'm sure it's not interesting for, for fans of those sides but there's no quick fix I'm afraid Bryce because he doesn't have the, the players, he doesn't have the uh, natural coaching style to, to do this low block anti-football if you want to call it so unfortunately for Leverkusen fans this is the way, I've said it before Leverkusen either win 4-0 or they get beat 4-0 and this week they got beat 4-2. Yeah, before we move on to the uh, the late kickoff game, um, Manu, you wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the Bayer Leverkusen centre-back uh, Edmund Tapsoba, um, who's only 21 and he, he is playing, well, above his level at the moment, isn't he? I don't know if he's playing above his level, Bryce. I think he's playing um, at a level that is he developed quicker to play in the level that he is playing right now than I think many people had uh, anticipated. I think he's a wonderful player. I think Chris and I spoke privately on during the game and said like this is this is a player who can really move the ball around. And I think going forward, Tapsoba is going to be a name that a lot of people in Europe are going to to look at. I mean, there's so much attention is being paid towards um, Kai Havertz, right, who, who missed out in this game due to an injury. Um, and I think that. Once Kai Havertz has a future, I think in Leverkusen, the, the next big player that a lot of teams in Europe will want to have is Tapsoba because he's only been here for, you know, a few months and has already developed into such a great center back. And you can really see um, that he is going to be one of those modern center backs that really move the ball around well, can almost play a little bit like a playmaker from the back. And I think that is an asset that any club in the world wants. And Bryce, I didn't want to just talk about Tapsoa. I also have to mention Florian Wirtz. Um, sorry, I should have brought this up earlier. Yeah, he's now the youngest goalscorer in, in the Bundesliga, 17 years old. Um, another amazing talent. Uh, and what a finish. With, what a finish, right? Against he beating out two world champions to uh, become the youngest goalscorer um, is not something you see often from a 17-year-old. And I think he's going to be... You know, in Germany, we're very blessed that we have so many young, talented players come come out, like come make it into the Bundesliga year in and year out. And right now, with the five substitution rule, we're seeing probably a lot more than more making, um, you know, getting that first league experience. And maybe the five substitution rule is actually something that will help German teams um, develop young players. But yeah, two wonderful players. And I think Leverkusen, um, even after Harvards has made a decision on his future, I think they're going to be in very good hands because there's so many good young players that are playing for Leverkusen and are already making a name for themselves. I think this is also another indication of, of just how Leverkusen like to play football because they've signed themselves a centre-back who, when was in Portugal, 
played 16 games, scored five goals and assisted once. So that, that's a decent return for a centre-back. Um, so I think it shows you the way they want to play football and they go out and they scout. And Manu and I have sat down and we've spoken to Simon Rolf and San Fernando Caro and the way they play football is something they're very proud of. So even when they look at a defender, they're looking at a defender that can defend, obviously, that's the main criteria, but what can they add to the attack? And, and you know... <laughs> Um, Edmund Tapsoba can add something to the attack as well. So you asked earlier, what can um, Bayer Leverkusen do to improve their defence? Well, they can highlight themselves by signing young, talented players like they have done. But let's not forget that they also want players who will score goals. So that, again, underlines the Bayer Leverkusen way of playing football by bringing in this particular type of player. Well, this is it. You know, some people would say the best form of defence is attack, eh? So, well, maybe it'll work. But yes, that means that Bayer Leverkusen, as Chris mentions, are sitting in fifth. They're in the same amount of points as Bruce Munchen Gladbach, who thankfully for them uh, failed to win on Friday night. Um, let's talk about the late kickoff game then. We've seen a Borussia Dortmund take on Hertha Berlin, uh, a game that we had said, wow, that's going to be fireworks as well. Manu, it didn't really turn out like that, did it? No, it did not. I mean, I was hopeful that um, this edition of Dortmund against Hertha would be different than, than past editions. I mean, in fairness, we have seen goals in this in this game, but um, Hertha have been playing such exciting football and um, Dortmund at times too. But I was watching this game with um, a few friends and, um, you know, they said they, they noticed that um, they mentioned it to me that Dortmund seem like an awful, <laughs> awful efficient side, and I think that really underlines um, what we have, you know, what we have pointed out with Lucien Favre. Um, let's call it Favre ball. This this tendency to to find goal scoring opportunities and only capitalize on them. You know, the high that the fact that they have this high um, scoring probability um, doesn't always make for the most attractive style of football and. I think this was a great example because they scored the one goal against Hertha and they didn't really look like they were looking for a second. And this is so systematic in, in Dortmund's playing style and has been for two years now that they drop points late. And that has, it cost them a title this year and it cost them the title last year and um, more last year than this year. I mean, you know, if Bayern's, Bayern had a very stuttering start to the season this year and Dortmund could have easily been on more than 70 points and, you know, have afforded to lose both the Klassikers and still be ahead of Bayern. And they were because they dropped points unnecessarily and they could have easily dropped a point in this game because they, they did not finish off their opponent uh, in this game. And Hertha, uh, for some odd reasons, just couldn't get into the game the same way that they did in the last few matches, maybe because Mateus Cunha was missing, who's been on prolific form for them, right? And is, is a very has developed into a great player under Bruno Labbadia. But I think for me, that is so systematic in, in Dortmund's approach that um, Lucien Favre, as much as I love him as a coach and the way he plays football, with, especially without the fans, it becomes even more evident that it is a style that is also very risky to play and maybe sometimes throws away too many unnecessary points, um, especially if you don't have a big number nine up front, right? I mean, even without Haaland, they should have scored maybe more goals or more gone for more goals. And it was the case against Bayern Munich in the Classica as well, where they, they only lost that game by one goal. Um, but they didn't really ever seem to find that themselves in that very dangerous goal-scoring opportunity, right? Because they don't take the risks that you need to take to win great games like that. And that's something that Chris and I have brought up many times in the past. So I think it's a bit of a systemic issue. Chris, what about you? Where do you think the uh, the issue is with Dortmund? I mean, I mean just to, to clear up, they did get three points at the weekend, but uh, it's, it's just not looking and feeling like it should. It didn't, but I, I, I think I'm going to have to give Bruno Labbadia plenty of play, praise there because I know they played really exciting football. Um, but it's something I mentioned, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the podcast before that, they have this ability now under Bruno Labbadia to play two different styles of football and something we've been talking about, can Leverkusen do that? No, they can't. And Labbadia can play this exciting brand of football and I think we all saw that in the Berlin derby. But then he can play this um, sort of defensive style of football, which I think we saw. I think Hertha knew 
that Dortmund, um, you know, man for man, out quality them. There's more quality there um, on the pitch. So they needed a system to be able to stifle and frustrate Dortmund. And I think they did that. And it needed a really clever, intricate piece of play between Sancho Brandt and Emre Chance finish was excellent. So they were undone by a real quality move. And I think for, what was it, for 50, 60 minutes, they'd, they'd stop that. Um, for an hour, they'd managed to stop that. And they had that one little instance where they they were opened up and then it didn't happen again. And I think that's because of Hertha's ability to, to play different styles of football depending on the opponent. Um, I think Hertha went with with a setup to try and nick a goal and they never were able to do that. And I do think, because Manu said that Kuna was missing and he's, he's played very well under this system. Um, Abizovic had opportunities. He's got... You know, three players behind him that are all um, exceptional as well. Obviously, um, the likes of Alexander Esfine came off the bench, and I think he had two good opportunities and didn't take them. So I think as Bruno Labbadia replays this match, he will probably think we got beat, but there was enough there for us to get a draw or potentially even win. Um, How can Dortmund be fixed? Well, unfortunately for me, Bryce, I've said this plenty of times now. Um, I said it on the last podcast um, and it was picked up by, by a few outlets in, in the UK and in the Netherlands. Um, I think Lucien Favre is a brilliant tactician. But unfortunately, Borussia Dortmund need more than that. They need a leader and a tactician. Um, and whilst he might be good at getting the results and getting Dortmund into the Champions League, and he'll get them quite far in the Champions League, you know, knockout stages, and they may do quite well in the Pokal every now and again, if they want a manager who's going to win them the league, who's going to take them into the last four of the Champions League. I'm afraid Lucien Favre isn't it for me. And until they make a change on that, um, I don't think there's going to be any difference. Um, and because of the, the absolute talent he's got of his disposal, I mean, I can only Im- imagine the, the team he's got was given to Klopp. Was it given to um, Guardiola? Was it even given to someone like Maurizio Pochettino? you would get a different outcome with this team, especially in cup competitions, but I think they would run Bayern a lot closer than what we've seen this season. So for me, it all starts and finishes with the coach's way of playing football. Any other team, uh, sorry, any other coach of a more of an attacking mindset goes and puts three, four, five away against Hertha after they get that first goal. And this is why Manu's already said it, Dortmund tend to drop a lot of points because this is what happens. They think, OK, we've got a 1-0 lead. We'll, we'll try and try again. And, and they don't adjust the way they play football. And they get hit by you know a sucker punch late on. So I'll say it again. I do like Lucien Favre as a coach, but I don't think he's the right fit at Dortmund. Well, Manu, we talked about this last week as to who could potentially uh, come in and replace him. Uh, and once both of you had picked out Jesse Marsh, it seemed like it was mentioned everywhere. Um, is, is there any truth in this or... Are a lot of people just listening to this podcast? Oh, a lot of people should be listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> Good <I> think... answer. <laughs> no, but, you know, honestly, um, yeah, of course there is something to this. Um, when we don't make stuff up. <laughs> That's not how we work. Um, does, does, does this mean that Jesse Marsh is going to be the next head coach of Borussia Dortmund? No, absolutely not. That's not how this works. Um, I mean, clubs have an eye on various options. Um, it's no mistake that we mentioned this and then Sportbild also brings it. And, you know, um, I wrote an article on Forbes and it was mentioned in various outlets around the world. You know, Jesse Marsh is, I think, a coach that a lot of people around the world are watching and Borussia Dortmund are one of them because his style of football fits. Um, he is a coach that also as a personality would be a great fit. And I think that when Borussia Dortmund um, plan the future, be it with or without Favre, they will always have a plan B, a C, or D in, in mind. And I think that Jesse Marsh is definitely one of those one of those people that um, are part of any possible future plan of Borussia Dortmund. Whether that's whether it means that's going to happen or not is an entirely different thing. I think that's what we always have to differentiate, right? Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's definitely something to the story, Bryce. Um, you know, I, I know for a fact that, um, people in Dortmund have a high opinion of Jesse Marsh, um, as do many other clubs around the world. 
Yes, indeed. Well, as I said last week, you heard it here first if it does happen. Uh, but yeah, and yeah, of course you don't make stuff up. Come on now. Okay, well, that was Nurna Hausen by Frank Zander, uh, a song played at the end of, the, of games uh, by Hertha Berlin fans. Um, and Manu, can you just explain why? It's, a, it's quite an emotional one, that one, really. Um, and, and you said, yes, it is. <laughs> you know, there, there's been a few occasions where you've, you've been in the ground and, and, you, and you've heard it blaring out and it is quite emotional. It does really invoke a lot of emotions. The lyrics itself are actually quite positive, but for some odd reason, the positive lyrics give you a lot of melancholy. And I, th- I think that it fits to to Hertha um, quite a bit. Chris and I were, we were joking about it off the podcast before we came on that we've been to the Olympiastadion on so many occasions where uh, Hertha got smashed, and then they played a song, and you're like, you know, Nuna Hause, um, we don't go, we don't go home. Um, no matter what happens, we don't go home, right? And I think that is that is such a perfect fit for for this club in in many ways. And yeah, I mean, you learn, when you actually read the lyrics, it's it's a it's actually positive lyrics to a very melancholic song, and I think it fits Berlin perfectly well. Yeah, that's it. Well, the, the game may not have went um, how sh- maybe you wanted it, Hertha Berlin fans, this weekend, but you know that things are certainly looking brighter than they have done for for a while, anyway. So. Um... Yeah, just um, keep that one on repeat and sing along, eh? But, um, right, guys, we we need to um, talk a little bit, a um, uh, bit of a follow-up from uh, last match day and what we talked about in the podcast. There was a few different you know, shirts worn, there was um, armbands worn by different players uh, and then different celebrations um, to do with uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, that seems to be going on around the world at the moment, you know, and we wondered a little bit about how the Bundesliga would take this. Um, you're not meant to make any you know, political statements or anything of the sort on the field. You can get fined for it, but this is obviously a little bit different and Chris, um, how exactly um, have the players been treated you know, with the different statements that they made uh, during last week's games? Yeah, you're quite right. Um, I think we mentioned it last week. I'm pretty sure we did. But there's um, there's DFL and DFB ruling where political statements aren't to be made. Um, however, with a big comma, this isn't a political statement, is it? It's, um, it's a humanitarian issue. Um, and the DFB and the DFL quite rightly said that there would be no um, no fines or no punishment for players that showed solidarity with the movement that's going on in the United States. Um, and they, then FIFA got themselves into the equation as well and said that they would, if this was a tournament, they would celebrate what the Bundesliga players had done. Um, and let's not forget that no matter what league you're in, there is anti-racism um drives all the time there's there's kick it out there's um, there's all sorts going on there's there's the uefa one there's the fifa one um so it makes absolute sense for this not to be treated as a political issue as such and i think that's right because politics will divide people um i think we've seen that in the past with um solidarity shown to maybe countries who um have been invaded by others or maybe countries who politically are in turmoil and some players show allegiance to one political party that's the sort of thing fifa want to keep out of the game but um demonstrating against what is an awful humanitarian issue you know people innocent people getting murdered um i think is something that and especially because it's race related is something that football couldn't turn a blind eye to because it would have looked hypocritical next time it rolled out it's you know no racism um, banners so I think it was right and it's good to see that that that's happened and um, whether it's enough though whether our t-shirts enough to to really change our shows on social media enough to really change this is something you know that's requires a lot deeper thought and a lot more chat and probably not by someone like me yeah Manu is, is there anything that you'd like to add that you feel uh, the Bundesliga uh, has been doing uh, with, with all that's going on at the moment
Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I was impressed how quickly the league and the DFB came out and supported um, Marcus Thuram, West McKinney, Tyler Adams and Jaden Sancho and many of the other players that have spoken out and, you know, um, the DFB saying that they're very proud of those players and the solidarity that was shown by the clubs and by other players, um, you know, on an issue that I think that maybe... Um, they were not quite as aware of and should be aware of. We should all be aware of the racism that happens um, around us. And um, I'm with Chris, you know, um, I think shirts and taking the knee is very important as, as a gesture, but it's definitely not enough. You, you have to follow this up with, um, with a little bit more. And um, I think it's very important to have this discussion about systemic racism um whether it be in the united states where um you know where this a one issue or in germany where there's also a lot of issues um with racism the issues are different but they need to be discussed and i think that is the most important aspect about this is that um german players white players um they were not maybe not 100% aware of how their teammates felt but quickly realized what what, what it meant to them and quickly came out in support and we haven't really seen that with other sport leagues around the world um, in this quite and this amount right which I think it really speaks for the Bundesliga but it needs to be followed up with all sorts of things um, you know we, we need to have these discussions every day we need to need to talk to and listen to other people of other other colors and other you know we just need to have this discussion and that's really the most important part um, that this is getting addressed now and um you know to talk um and to listen and i think um that is really more that is probably even more important than you know taking a knee for social media opportunities um is to follow this up with meaningful action whatever that meaningful action is um whether it just be talking with each other but yeah i i think that is all that we really can say about it and i think chris is quite right this needs to be discussed by people that are a lot more qualified to discuss this than either one of us on the podcast is. And maybe it's just also something that we have to say to some of our friends that experience racism, that we just sit down with them and maybe just listen. I think that is something that comes out of this, is that maybe just listen and trying to understand what it means to be systematically subjected to racism um, is something that should come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as we said before, we came on the podcast. You know, we can only hope that this is taken as seriously and the changes are made. Um, you know, once it stops trending, once it stops becoming a social media interest, you know. So we'll have to uh, wait and see what happens there. But let's um, let's go to something uh, somewhat more lighthearted and go to the Twitter questions. We've we've got quite a few this week. We've got six in total. So let's uh, get through them before we finish off the pod uh, this week. Uh, Chris, uh, we'll, we'll go to you for the first one. So, Lucas asks, do BVB need more chance in their team to win the title? Um, do they need more Emre chance? Well, I don't think they need any more centre-back or mid defensive midfielders who can play centre-backs. Do they need more quality players? Probably not. Um, you know, they've got Sancho, they've got Julian Brandt, they've got Guerrero, Witzel, Delaney, Emre Chan. Um, they've got uh, Giovanni Reina, They've they've got lots of good players, um, so I don't think they need more good players. Maybe they just need a new coach. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll be discussing that plenty more, I feel. Um, so Adam Kalen, he asks, Manu, uh, well, we've discussed this a little bit, but he says, what's wrong with RB Leipzig? But he follows it up then by saying, are we finding out how important Paulson is to them? I, I think Josef Paulson is a very important player for RB Leipzig, but I don't think the problems that they are facing right now have to do with Josef Paulson. I think that, you know, um, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, they are a side that are still learning and um, they are a very young club. And <laughs> remember, too, um, they are likely going to qualify for the Champions League for the third time in just four Bundesliga seasons. So maybe there's nothing wrong with Leipzig, but maybe it's just a normal growing process for a team that's only played the fourth Bundesliga season. And perhaps, just perhaps, the expectations are just a little bit too high for a club um, that has still a lot of growing up to do. Yeah, nicely put. So we'll go to question number three. Uh, Chris uh, Sheva Canyoneri asks, uh, thanks for sending a message again this week or a question. We appreciate it. Uh, With the pandemic having negative financial effects on clubs, how worse is it going to get if a club gets relegated to Bundesliga 2? It's a good question. Um, I think it will get a little worse for for any club that's relegated um, to Bundesliga 2. Maybe not so much for a club like Paderborn, who have a set budget and live within that, whether they're in the first league, second league or third league. And they've navigated all those leagues very quickly um, in the the last few seasons. I don't think it will affect someone like Paderborn too much. Um, But for Werder Bremen, I think it will be disastrous. Um, They are now three points adrift of that 16th slot, um, they're six points adrift of Mainz in 15th, which are obviously you know, is the, the the lowest you want to finish in the Bundesliga without going to those 180 minutes of hell. So for a side like Werder Bremen, um, I, I think it's it could be a real, real problem um, because of television money, because of gate receipts, although I don't think the gate would be affected that much. Um, should Werder go down because you know Bremen is is a is a real as a one club city. It's a lovely city. Every what well, there is green and white. So I think they would support their team in the second division just as much as a team like say Cologne faced um, when they went down. But the the financial problems would be massive. As would keeping hold of players who you know can evidently play in the top league and who probably want to keep in the top league or a top league in Europe. And there's players like Rashika, who've already mentioned, Davy Klassen's another one. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many um, contracts have a Bundesliga 2 clause written into them because really a side like Werder Bremen shouldn't be anywhere near the bottom three. So for them to have those um, contract clauses in place, I think would be quite surprising. So, it will be very detrimental come the end of the season if they've got a number of players wanting to leave because they can play at a higher level. Um, the drop down, the, the loss of TV money, obviously as we don't know what football is going to look like next season. So were Werder Bremen to go down and play three, four months of the opening season with no gate as well, it would be a tremendous loss for them. And it's the, t- the type of relegation that will could keep them in the second tier because of the current circumstances for four to five seasons and I'm sure they wouldn't want that um, but as it stands if they had a mass exodus and no fans in to start next season Werder Bremen would find it very difficult to come back up. Manu we're going to go to question number four and we've got Chris Polakos asks if Werder goes to Chelsea does Rusica go to Leipzig and which deal was made first? <laughs> no, so there's no deal for Rashika in place. Uh, but RB Leipzig are very, very interested. And I need to correct what I said earlier. His exit clause in terms if Werder Bremen go down, um, Rashika's exit clause is not 8 million, it's 15 million euros. So um, apologies for that. But yeah, I think that um, Rashika to Leipzig is a strong possibility, especially when Werder get relegated, because if you can sign someone like him who has a market value of 25 million euros, and this is the top of my head, you can look that up on Transfermarkt if um, if you were interested in the figures. I think it would be a wonderful deal for, for Leipzig. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's a deal in place yet, but I think there's a high possibility it could happen. And Chris, we're going to go to Josh Sim. Thanks for getting in touch again, Josh. Who do you guys think will take the final European spot of sixth place? 
Well, that is open for debate. So should Bayern Munich win the Pokal, um, then seventh will become available. So um, at the moment, someone like Hertha Berlin could make it, um, or it could be as it is with Hoffenheim or Freiburg. I, I would say that if you're looking at going forward and who could potentially cope with European football in that um, in that volley of teams that are in or around, then it would be um, Hertha at the moment who have got the squad who could deal with it. I don't think Freiburg would, and they fell out in the qualifying stage last time. I think Schalke are playing that poorly at the moment. That Should they continue that form into next season and, and play in Europe, they, they get battered even worse than they did in the Champions League. Um, and, uh, and the same for Frankfurt. I think they're a, a team that have maybe lost a little bit of impetus the last season and a half and, and wouldn't be able to hit those highs again um, in European competition. Um, I think they could do with a year out of it to rebuild. Um, so as we're looking at it, I'd say the the best team prepared to go into Europe next season would, would be Hertha Berlin. I think they'd be better prepared than, than Hoffenheim who occupy that seventh slot at the moment. And Hertha actually play Eintracht Frankfurt next. Uh, they'll probably fancy their chances in that one where Wolfsburg and Freiburg will be facing off against each other while Hoffenheim have RB Leipzig. So actually, it's probably more favourable for them at the moment, but there's still a few more games after that, isn't there? Manu, uh, the final question that we have here is from Michael. He says, is there something besides empty stadiums that you attribute to the winning percentage of home sides dropping more than 20 percent since the restart yeah hey michael it's actually nice to do to, to get that question from you um we, we met michael and leverkusen and uh you know follow fellow canadian and yeah it's a great guy so i'm uh, happy to answer this question i think uh, when you look at the results um we haven't gotten enough games to actually see whether this is a trend uh there weren't actually many games where i thought okay well this is the away side winning um is a huge surprise so, you know, when I look at the overall results, none of the results actually surprised me, even though, you know, the, the stadiums were empty or I don't think that's actually a factor. I think that the away teams winning right now is really, this is a short blip. Um, you know, we have now five match days under our belt since the restart or four, sorry. And I think that we have to wait and see whether this is actually a trend or it's just a matter of, you know, who faced who um, at this moment in time. And so... It's a very good question. It really is because, you know, it is something that a lot of people have noticed. But I actually think it's down to the fixture list, not to um, an home adventure being taken away. I think that what, what shows that this weekend is is the first game on Friday you would expect Borussia Mönchengladbach to beat Freiburg. And they didn't. Um, and and had, had that happened, you wouldn't have gone, oh, well, it's another home loss. In fact, you're more surprised that Freiburg have beaten Gladbach. So I, I'm with Manu on that. Um, I think we're best looking at the end of the season. Um, and then when other leagues come back, is it a trend that we notice that will happen in a Premier League? Will it happen in Serie A? Will it happen in La Liga? Um, I think maybe we can look at it after some of those other leagues come back as well. But it's a very interesting um, stat to, to take on board. Yeah, isn't it just? But that uh, more or less does it for the uh, podcast uh, this week. Uh, coming up next week, we've got some uh, very exciting games. The weekend will start off with Hoffenheim against RB Leipzig. As I said, the late kickoff game on Saturday, uh, that could be a very good game. But Bayern Munich taking on Borussia Mönchengladbach and the weekend finishing off with Schalke taking on Bayer. Oh, per Schalke. But um, yeah, we've managed to, uh, to you know, go a whole podcast without talking about how bad they are. I'm sure they're happy about that. But yes, as I said, that does it for this week. Um, before you know it, we'll be back with another podcast. Uh, and until then, I'll feed us in. Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. 
Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.